It's great to be up with you. I came up last night. I was slightly delayed on the roads. There was an accident on the M4. There was a, 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 um, two lorries carrying snooker cues or snooker parts crashed, but there were cues everywhere. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> it's okay. They've got the drivers under arrest, Jeff. It's fine. Sorry, I won't do that again. It's not, my, it's not my first apology of the day. I, uh, I was so excited to be staying in the fantastic hotel, um, Bowdoin Lodge. I got up, had my breakfast this morning, and um, went back up to my room to read my Bible. And I sat down, I realized I'd torn a hole in the nice trousers I brought to wear with me. So I'm afraid I'm slightly underdressed, so please forgive me. Um, it's great to be with you. Um, if, in case we've not met before, my name's James Aubrey, and um, that's still my name. And um, I'm from All Nations Church in Cardiff, where I'm based my wife, Saskia, and our four children. I've left them behind, so at least two of you this morning have already asked me why I didn't bring Saskia. So apologies for that. At least one of you have asked where my parents are. Uh, so greetings from Roger and Diane, who are doing really, really well. And greetings from all the elders in the church as well, All Nations. And uh, if you want the chance to see any of us, please come down and join us on the 12th of November where Kerry Jones, who you've got with you this week, is hosting World Watch, uh, his international conference, where we're going to be getting reports from all around the world of what God is doing in different parts of the world. So you've got some exciting stuff happening up here. Um, Kerry's with you on Wednesday. I think when I was with you last time, earlier on in the year, Kerry came the week after as well. So either I'm his warm-up act, or you, get in, you need to get me in quick to fix anything that I've broken, but either way, it's fine. I have the real privilege today of talking with you about um, the gift of the teacher, which is one of, in fact, the last of the gifts mentioned in Ephesians 4. When Paul says that Christ has given gifts to the church, he says he's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So this morning is a proper, the last shall be first morning. It's no coincidence that teachers are mentioned there last. Uh, in pretty much every list you find in the New Testament, you'll never find teachers mentioned first. Okay? Uh, teachers are always involved with working with other people, which we'll come on to later on. Henry Brooks Adams said, a teacher affects eternity. He can never tell where his influence stops. And when you hear the word teacher, you might break out in kind of cold sweats of thinking about that teacher used to have, maybe period one of Monday morning, geography, physics, whatever it was that you didn't enjoy, and you might break out in a slight cold sweat. I know some of you well enough to know that there are some teachers and some retired teachers in the room. So when you hear the phrase teachers, you might have a flashback to that class that you didn't like teaching on a Wednesday afternoon, or that assembly you didn't like taking on Tuesday morning, or as Dave told me this morning, his least favorite class of the week was cross-country running with PE, so... But you know, the word teacher really goes deep down into our hearts and minds because we know what a massive impact teachers can have on us. If we were to talk this morning, there are probably a fair number of you who actually gave up on a particular dream or passion that you had because a teacher discouraged you from doing it. Or because you went into a certain club or a certain classroom, and that thing that you'd always been passionate about for so long, they taught it to you with such a lack of passion that you lost your love for it. It's a tragedy, isn't it? At the same time, there are some of you here today, and you know full well 
that you're where you are in life because a teacher believed in you. I think of my uh, GCSE teacher, my GCSE chemistry teacher, Mr. A.D. Mr. A.D. was an Elvis impersonator, I kid you not, and a Swansea City fan teaching in a school in Cardiff. Okay, so for some northern context, that's like kind of an Evertonian teaching in a school full of Liverpool fans, okay? And, um, do you know, he went out of his way to, to, to take me through GCSE chemistry in the, um, it, it breaks at lunchtime. And if it hadn't been for him, I would have failed. He didn't have to do that, but he did. And I'm eternally in his debt. We're going through a strange situation at the moment because my eldest daughter, who's, who wears Tabitha? Yeah, just checking it's not my daughter. There we go. My daughter's called Tabitha. Just checking she hadn't snuck up. She, she wanted to come with me, but looking forward to hearing your testimony tonight, Tabitha. It'd be great. My eldest daughter, who's also called Tabitha, is 12, and she's going to the same high school that I went to. And not at the same time, obviously, but... Um, and uh, she came home the other day, and she said, Dad, was your history teacher called Mr. So-and-so? And I said, yes. She said, hmm, yeah, when he took the register... He paused at my surname and looked at me. And then, then she went into the class the next time, and Mr. So-and-so said, um, are, you, are you James Aubrey's daughter? And there was a big pause, and she said, yes, I am. <laughs> he said he was a good student. I like teaching him. <laughs> I didn't tell her that on school trips, he used to let all the lads who smoked go one way so he could go and smoke the other way. I never told him that. And I wasn't one of them, but I did see it happen. But, you know, we live our lives so influenced by teachers, don't we? We live our lives often influenced by the words that they used to, to define us, with the reports they wrote that our parents had to read. Uh, the guys who were playing in our band this morning did a great job, didn't they? Some of them may have been self-taught, but others will have been taught by someone who had a craft and then taught them how to do it. Okay, it's not just in school that we learn from people. You go, to, you go to a gymnastics club or you go to a cookery class, you go to an art class, and people pass on their skills and their abilities to you, don't they? Teachers influence us all the time. And it's, um, it's important that we recognize that when we start to talk about teachers in the church, we can often have concepts that are slightly formed by the world in which we've lived. And so I definitely feel majorly underqualified to talk to you about teaching today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look with you at how Jesus taught. Because as we'll find, he was constantly called a teacher and constantly taught people. But the question is, how and why did he do it? Let's begin, though, with some kind of dictionary definitions. I love a good dictionary, um, particularly one I can read, so an English one is preferable. Um, the English dictionary defines a teacher or teaching as the ability to impart knowledge or to instruct someone in how to do something. That's the Oxford English Dictionary. To teach is to impart knowledge or to instruct someone in how to do something. So there are two elements to teaching that I think are important to pull out there. First of all, teaching involves explanation. Okay, you're going to impart knowledge. A, a good teacher can explain something to you in a way that you understand. Whether that's chemistry or physics or music or football or athletics, a good teacher can explain something to you in a way that you understand. Albert Einstein said, if you can't explain something to a six-year-old, you don't understand it at all. 
But teaching also involves equipping. Okay, it doesn't involve only explaining something. It also, it, it also equips people in how to do something. So a good teacher is an explainer and an equipper. Okay, so you, maybe you go for a piano lesson. I used to have lots of piano lessons. I worked for a couple of years as a piano teacher. One of the things you had to do is you had to be able to explain to people how music worked, what the notes on the stage were, but then you had to equip them to be able to actually play the instrument. And one day, I worked as a piano teacher and a guitar teacher, and one day, a boy came to my house for a guitar lesson, and he took his guitar out to tune his guitar, and he played something on the guitar, and I thought, oh, I don't know how to play that. Hey, show me how you, how you played that. And we spent the whole lesson him teaching me how to play something. And I suddenly thought, I think my days as a teacher are over. Because <laughs> the pupil had gone further than the teacher, which, of course, is actually what every teacher wants to happen. In Greek, when we read in the Bible the words teach or teaching, it's the word didasko, and it means to cause to learn or to impart knowledge. So, the English dictionary and the Greek New Testament are on the par. When we're talking about teaching, we're talking about explanation, and we're talking about equipping. Is that right? Now, there are over 100 references to teaching and teachers in the New Testament alone. And this is very simply because Jesus did a lot of teaching and so did his disciples after him. So what we're going to do for the major part of our time together this morning is we're going to look at Jesus. I love what Jeff said, that we want everyone in the church here to be passionate for Jesus. And so there's no one better to talk about and there's no one better to look at than Jesus. We see Jesus frequently be called rabbi or teacher by people in the Gospels. So the first question we're going to ask ourselves today is what were the key qualities of Jesus' teaching? Okay? Now, I must warn you, my, uh, <clears throat> my message this morning comes with lots of alliteration and assonance. So, uh, I feel like the spirit of Tony Ling is upon me. What were the key qualities of Jesus' teaching? First of all, Jesus' teaching was authoritative. Would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 7. We are going to turn up lots of scriptures today. So... Normally when I come to you or normally when I share with folks, I'm usually looking at one story and we'll work our way through that story, but today we're going to look at lots and lots of different scriptures. So um, you might feel like Roger's with you as much as James. Matthew 7, verse 28. I'm reading this morning from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. <laughs> when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. The first thing that marks out the teaching of Jesus was that when he taught, people recognize there's an authority. There's an authority to what you're saying. This isn't merely the opinion of an expert. This isn't merely the philosophy of a professor. This isn't merely the suggestion of an expert. There's an authority to this teaching that I cannot ignore. I can say no to it. I could say yes to it, but I can't ignore it. There's an authority to the teaching of Jesus. Second thing about the teaching of Jesus is that Jesus' teaching was anointed. Anointed. We're still in Matthew's gospel. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13.
Jesus' teaching was anointed. It was characterized by the presence and the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 13 and verse 54 says that Jesus came to his hometown and began to teach the people in their synagogue. So they were astounded and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these deeds of power? So Jesus was teaching and the, and the people, and they're about to actually kind of say no to his teaching, they're about to reject him, but they notice that his teaching has two qualities to it. It's full of wisdom, okay, which is basically the practical ways that God gives us to live in the fear of the Lord, okay? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, okay? But his teaching's not only characterized by wisdom, his teaching's characterized by deeds of power. So Jesus' teaching was authoritative, and Jesus' teaching was anointed, Next thing we can say about Jesus' teaching, Jesus' teaching was apostolic. And I'll explain what that means as we turn. Go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. I know you've got Kerry with you on Wednesday night. Kerry, um, the apostle that we know and recognize. I know that students have got David with them next week, another apostolic ministry that we know and recognize. What the word apostle means, what apostolic means, is to be sent with a commission on behalf of someone else, okay? And so, Jesus' teaching was apostolic. He was sent by the Father to declare to the people what the heart of the Father was. And He came and He represented the Father perfectly, and so that Jesus could say, and we agree with him, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Okay. What's God like? He's like Jesus. Ma uh, John 7, verse 16. John 7, 16. Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Anyone who resolves to do the will of God will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. And this is actually a real hallmark of all genuine teaching, is that teaching by and large is something that comes from God and from others. We're going to see this later on, okay, because in Ephesians 4, when teachers are not here to teach the teacher's teaching, teachers are here to teach the apostles' teaching, okay? So, Jesus has received from the Father, and he's passing it on. So, Jesus' teaching was authoritative, it was anointed, it was apostolic, and finally for this little section, Jesus' teaching was applicable. Let's go back to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. We've been there once already. <clears throat> We'll read verse 24. It's lovely to hear the pages turning. Matthew 7, 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus said, and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus' teaching was not theory. It wasn't philosophy. It worked in practice. Jesus said, if you hear these words of mine and do them, then you're like a wise man who's built his house on the rock. And as the story goes on, you know, the rains came down and the floods came up, but the house on the rock stood firm. Why? Because the teachings of Jesus are applicable. They work in practice. They weren't thought up in some think tank somewhere. 
Okay, they're not an academic philosophy that doesn't work in practice. They work in real life. All that Jesus taught works in practice. When Jesus says, the first thing you can do is love God with all your heart, works every time. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, it works every time. When Jesus says, don't worry about your life, what you can eat, drink, wear, so on and so forth, but it said, seek first the kingdom, it works every time. It works every time. We're currently going through many crises in our nation, but one of the crises we're going through is because people have taken theories and philosophies that had never been put into practice, economic theories that had never been put into practice, and they said, let's try them out, and they haven't worked. That is not how it is with Jesus. Everything that Jesus taught, if you do it, it works. Okay? It's not theory, it's not time filling, it's not pie in the sky, it works on the ground. And because it's teaching of the kingdom, it will work in every situation you find yourself in. So, those I would say are the four key qualities of Jesus' teaching. He was authoritative, he was anointed, it was apostolic, and it was applicable. So, the next question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, how did Jesus teach? How did he do it? How did he go about teaching? Did he have a classroom? Did he have an online school? Uh, Did he have a building? Well, I'm going to give you three ways that Jesus taught in the Gospels, and then I'm going to give you another three ways that Jesus continues to teach us today. Is that okay? So the first way that we need to see that Jesus taught is that Jesus taught through stories. Let's look at Mark chapter 4. And it's important we grasp this because the Bible is full of stories. Have you noticed that? You don't open the Bible and find lists and lists. Occasionally you do, but you don't find lists. You find stories. You find Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. You find stories about Samson and Gideon. Uh, You find stories about King David and his son, King Solomon. You find stories about the Acts of the Apostles, don't you, about Peter and Paul. You find yourself spending most of your time when you're reading the Bible reading stories. Now, they're all real. They're true stories. Okay? Jonah really did go into the belly of a fish. Noah did really live through the floods. God really did make the world in six days and then have a rest. They're true stories, but God has chosen to talk to us and communicate us with lots and lots and lots of stories. Have you noticed that? And Jesus turns up, and because he's the perfect demonstration of the Father, what does he do? He tells stories too. Mark chapter 4, verse 2 says, Jesus began to teach them many things in parables or in stories, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow, and he tells the parable of the sower. One of the reasons why God tells stories in order to teach us is because a story requires us to pay attention. And because a story requires us to work out the meaning. Okay? When you're reading the stories of Daniel or the stories of David or the stories um, uh, of Joseph and Jacob in, in the Old Testament, one of the things that you're doing, without, whether you realize it or not, is you're actually putting yourself in their place and going, what would I do in that situation? Okay. So one of the ways that God teaches us is by telling us stories. And this is why movies are so popular TV shows are so popular, fiction is so popular, because actually we're people made in the image of a storytelling God. Okay? So Jesus tells us stories. Okay? That's why we love Jeff's jokes. Jeff's jokes, they're basically stories with a great punchline at the end. So all a joke is is a really short, funny story. But Jesus teaches us through telling us stories. 
So when you're reading the Gospels next time, pay attention. Every time you hear Jesus telling a story, he's actually trying to teach you something. And sometimes he's really helpful, and he gives us the interpretation of the story, and sometimes he doesn't. And we have to think for ourselves. The second way that Jesus taught his disciples was through situations. And this is really important because Jesus allowed things to happen to the disciples in order for them to learn lessons. Uh, he wasn't what we call a helicopter parent who stopped anything happening before they got into any trouble. Jesus actually allowed things to happen to his disciples for them to learn lessons. Let's look at an example in Mark chapter 9. This is a great tip for parenting, this one. Mark chapter 9. <clears throat> Jesus taught his disciples through situations. Now, Jesus and his disciples traveled mostly by walking. Occasionally they went by boat, but they walked most places. Okay? Um, and they are, this story, they're about to arrive in a city called Capernaum. Mark 9, 33. They, that is Jesus and the disciples, came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way... They had argued with one another about who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and take it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Now, Jesus knew that he had to teach his disciples that a key principle in the kingdom is service and servanthood. And that greatness in the kingdom is a good thing. It's good to aspire to be great in God's kingdom, but the, the way to greatness is servanthood. Now, Jesus knows he's got to teach the disciples that, yeah? It's, it's going to be on his to-do list. It's a clear, clear theme of the kingdom. But in order for them to best learn the lesson, Jesus allows them to walk along and to suddenly start getting into an argument, you know? And it's not like you're going to be the greatest. No, you are. No, you are. This is the other way around. It's like, uh, I will be the greatest. No, I will be. No, I, and Jesus allows us to go along. He allows the situation to unfold because then he can come into the situation and say, now what were you talking about? And they won't tell him. So he says, now boys, if you want to be great, be a servant. Come here, little boy, come here. You receive the kingdom as a child. So the Lord Jesus taught his disciples through situations. Things happened in their lives. He allowed things to happen in their lives in order to teach them. Okay? Now, I'm going to pause here and be very clear. Jesus never allowed one of his disciples to get sick in order to teach them a lesson. It's very important we say that as a caveat because many Christians believe Sometimes they well, I'm sick because God's trying to teach me a lesson. That is not one of God's methods. We should make it abundantly clear this morning, God does not send sickness into any believer's life to teach them a lesson. He might give you a difficult boss, though. He might give you a sibling that's difficult to handle. Yeah? So he'll put you in a situation for you to learn something. Happy with the difference? 
Jesus taught his disciples through situations. Thirdly, Jesus taught his disciples by setting them an example. There's no more powerful teaching lesson than the lesson of example. Let's look at John chapter 13. We doing okay? You are the best people in the world. Those students in Lancaster are going to be blessed to be with you guys next week. Jesus taught by setting an example. John 13, verse 12. John 13, verse 12. We'll come back to the scripture again in a moment, but let's look at it now. John 13, 12. After Jesus had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. There are two things at work here. The first one is that Jesus clearly teaches us that we are here to serve one another. Okay? Blatantly obvious. We're here to do to others what Jesus has done to us. Yes? The other thing that Jesus shows us is that one of the best ways of setting an example, sorry, best ways to teach people is to set them an example. I was in a room uh, a few weeks ago, and there were a group of kind of young men sitting, uh, waiting for a meeting to happen, uh, and an elderly gentleman from the church in Cardiff, I think he's one of our oldest members, he came into the room. And um, what does Proverbs say when someone comes into the room who's elderly? You should stand up for them. So I stood up. My dad taught me you should stand up when a lady comes into the room and you stand up when an older person comes in the room. So I stood up for the gentleman just to say hello to him. And I thought nothing more of it. We sat down again. And one of the young lads, he came to see me the next day and he said, you, 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 you stood up for that gentleman when you came in. I said, yes, that's right, because this is what the Bible says. He said, God's been telling me recently that I, 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 I don't respect my elders enough. And um, I'm too chummy with people. And he's been dealing with me on it. And I've been praying and asking God to show me how I can change. And when the gentleman walked in last night and you stood up, the Lord said, that's what you do. Now, I wasn't thinking, I know God's working in his life. You're just setting people an example. But that gentleman knows, that young boy knows now, forever when someone older than him comes into the room, he stands up to one of them. I was just setting them an example. Does that make sense? Folks, there's nothing wrong with being in situations and circumstances and asking yourself, I wonder what Jeff would do, I wonder what Dave or Mike would do. Because as, as our leaders, they're setting us an example that we can follow. I have been in hundreds of situations where I'm thinking literally, what would Kerry Jones do? What would my dad do? What would so-and-so do? And you imitate what they've done and you find out actually it works. <laughs> because they've set us an example that we can follow. Okay? So Jesus taught by setting an example. If you're setting an example that you don't want people to follow, just stop and change. I made a big mistake when my kids were really small. Um, there's one thing I don't like to eat, and that's mushrooms. My kids used to love eating mushrooms, and one night, um, Saskia, my wife, served us a meal with some mushrooms on the plate, and the kids said, oh, Dad, you don't want the mushrooms. And I said, no, I hate mushrooms. And do you know what happened straight away? All the kids suddenly hated them too. I think my, my wife's finally forgiven me. But, <laughs> but I was foolish. I set my kids an example that they could follow, but it wasn't a good example. There's no more powerful teaching tool than the power of example. 
So in the Gospels, I, I, those are three things I found. Jesus taught by telling stories. Have you noticed I've taught you this morning by telling you some stories? You notice I've done that? Okay, Jesus teaches through situations. He allows things to happen in order for us to learn a lesson. You get caught in traffic. Okay, you're late for school. You tear your trousers before you're meant to preach, and you have to learn a lesson. Okay? He teaches through an example. But of course, Jesus isn't here anymore. Have you noticed that? Praise God, he was crucified on the cross and raised from the dead. Woohoo! <laughs> and he's in heaven with the Father, and he's going to come again, which is exciting. Those of you who are students here today, don't pray the night before an exam you've not revised for for Jesus to return. Okay, it won't work. So how does Jesus continue to teach us today? Because he's still teaching us. So I'm going to give you three ways that Jesus continues to teach us today. Number one, Jesus teaches us today through the Spirit. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is many, many things to us. He is, as I like to say, the most important person at work in the world today. He has empowered us to be witnesses of Jesus. He is the present Lord. 2 Corinthians 3 tells us that. The Holy Spirit is also a teaching presence in our lives. The Holy Spirit, if you like, he's your own personal spiritual fitness coach. Okay. To 1 Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Do you know what? I just think it would be good for us to read that scripture out loud. This is a powerful scripture. So I'm going to count to three, and whatever translation you've got, let's just read that scripture together. One, two, from verse 12. One, two, three. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. The Holy Spirit is a teaching presence in your life. And He is not in your life to teach you how bad you are, he is not in your life to teach you how little you are like Christ at the moment. He is not in your life to accuse you. The Holy Spirit is a teaching presence in your life to make clear to you what you have freely received in Christ. He is the most positive and encouraging voice in your real world. He will definitely come to you at times and say, now, shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have done that. But more often than Christians realize, he's also saying to you, well done. Good job. You did well. You didn't get angry there. Well done. 
you sowed a seed of the gospel there, well done. There's grace available for you today, well done. The Spirit is a teaching presence in your life, and He is here to teach you, and we'll come back to this later on, He is here to teach you what is available to you in Christ. In fact, the New Testament makes it clear that the primary teaching influence in your life is the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to this in a moment. I am always teaching people who are already being taught by someone else, and that someone else is the Holy Spirit. And he's a wonderful teacher. And let me underscore this one more time before we move on. The Holy Spirit is in your life teaching you what is freely available to you in Christ. If it sounds too good to be true, it's probably the Holy Spirit. Who, me? I can have that? Yes, that's yours in Christ. The next way that the Lord Jesus continues to teach us today, I know these are very simple and very obvious, but I'm glad for simple and obvious things. Not only does the Lord Jesus continue to teach us through the Spirit, He continues to teach us today through the Scriptures. Let's look at Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Every time we encounter the Scriptures, every time we read the Scriptures for ourselves, or have the Scriptures read to us, or, or, or um, taught the Scriptures, this is an opportunity for the Lord Jesus to teach us, okay? which is why I would encourage you to be people who regularly read the Word of God. Read the Word of God to yourself. Have a private, personal time of reading the Word of God, okay? not merely to tick a box or to follow a reading plan, but so that the Lord Jesus may talk to you and teach you. Romans 15 verse 4 says this, whatever was written in former days, so this is to do with the scriptures, the Old Testament in particular, but now this counts for all the scriptures for us, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's so good, let's read that one together too. Ready? One, two, three. Whatever was written in our former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now, help me, help me here. Just let's do a little bit of Bible reading. You can help me. Um, all the answers are on the page, okay? What are you meant to get from the Scriptures according to this? Hope. Thank you. And how? By encouragement. And endurance. So what's the goal? What's the goal of reading all these stories? What's the goal of reading all these scriptures? It's so that God may fill you with hope. Hope is the confident expectation of future good. Biblical hope is never a wish. Biblical hope is always a certainty. So I could say, for example, are Wales going to win the Rugby World Cup next year? I can say I hope so but there's a lot of prayer and fasting that's got to go behind that hope. But I can say, is Jesus coming again? I can say, yes, I hope so. And that's a certainty. So Jesus actually has got a means by which he keeps our hope alive 
in our day-to-day life, and that's by reading the lessons of the Scripture. And what happens when you read the Scriptures, it's not that a hand comes out from the Bible and punches you in the face for how bad you've been. Because that's how some Christians think it is. If I spend too much time with God, He's just going to tell me off all the time. No, there's a means by which God wants to give you hope, He wants to strengthen you, and the Scriptures are a means of encouragement for you and I. When you read the Scriptures, they are feeding you encouragement. They're telling you, keep going. There's a plan. It's not over yet. God can save. God can deliver. God can restore. Oh, hallelujah. Get with Jesus. Get with the Scriptures and let him encourage you. He's teaching you encouragement. Do you know, as we were worshiping this morning... I just heard the Holy Spirit say to me very, very simply, I've got a plan. And I felt that there are people in the room today this morning, you may well have come in with worries or concerns or anxieties, and the Lord simply wants you to know today, He has a plan. And for you at the moment, it's not important to know what the plan is. What's important for you at the moment is to know that He has a plan and that you can trust Him. So the Lord Jesus continues to teach us through the Spirit. The Lord Jesus continues to teach us through the Scriptures. And finally, the Lord Jesus continues to teach us through his servants. I did warn you there'd be lots of alliterations, sorry. Okay, the Lord Jesus continues to teach us through his servants. So what kind of servants teach us? What kind of people in the body of Christ do we find teachers? Are you happy for me to answer that question? Okay, tell me if I'm going on for too long. It's really important that we recognize, uh, as I said earlier on, that teachers are not here to do what they want. So the first people we have to recognize in the body of Christ that teach us are not teachers, but are apostles. Let's look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. It says of the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I love the word devoted. It means to give yourself to something regardless of distraction or obstacle. If you want to know what you're devoted to in life, just look to whatever you will prioritize regardless of whatever else is coming along. If you, have a, if you have a date every Tuesday night with the Great British Bake Off on Channel 4 and you won't move that for hell nor high water, we know you're devoted to the Great British Bake Off on Channel 4. Nothing wrong with it, by the way. It's a good show. My kids like watching it. But look, what are the things in your life that you are, that's immovable? I'm giving time to that regardless of everything else. That's what you're devoted to. Okay? And these, these believers were devoted to four things. Pray, we'll go backwards. Prayer. The breaking of bread, fellowship, and the apostles' teaching. And one of the things that we find the apostles do throughout Acts and into the letters is that they are teaching the believers. So God has graciously continued to give gifts to his body, and one of the things that apostles do is they teach us. So when you're with Carrie on Wednesday evening, in however he chooses to do it, in however he chooses to talk, he will say or do certain things that night which will teach us something. 
Which is why, as Debbie said, make a priority of being there. Amen? The next group of people that we have to recognize teach us in the body are elders. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. One Timothy five seventeen says, "Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching." Okay, we won't say too much more about this for now. But one of the jobs of the elders among us is that they teach us. Now, they might not teach us from a pulpit on a Sunday morning with sermons with lots of stories and alliteration, but their counsel to us in private, um, their, their their leadership of small groups. Their, their marriage preparation, whatever else they're doing with this is actually means by which they're teaching us. Okay, and one of the things about being part of this community then, the, one, the community church in the Northwest, wonderful place in Southport, is are we willing to be taught by these elders? Because to come under their care is to give them permission not only to shepherd us, but to teach us. Okay, third group of people then that Jesus has given us to teach are, of course, teachers. And I'll say a bit more about those in a moment. Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12, says that Christ has given teachers to the church. But there's one more group of people that it's really easy for us to ignore that are actually teaching us as well. And that's the wonderful group I call the others. Not others, the others. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. Because although we're talking this morning about the gifts that Christ has given to his body, uh, we would not do justice to the subject without making clear that teaching is also a gift of the Holy Spirit, which means that the Holy Spirit can come upon any one of us and anoint any one of us at any time to teach somebody else. And it's really important that we recognize that as a spiritual value because the Lord will absolutely, definitely, 100% create situations in your life and my life where he wants us to learn a lesson from someone we wouldn't choose to listen to to see if we will actually receive it with humility. Romans chapter 12 verse 11. No, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Romans chapter 12 verse 6. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the one who encourages in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. These are all gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is all, it's the same language as 1 Corinthians 12, where we talk about tongue and interpretation and the gift of faith. The Holy Spirit can come upon you in a moment and enable you to teach somebody else a spiritual lesson. It can happen all the time. It's one of the reasons why I personally would really encourage believers to be involved, not only in large gatherings like this, but small groups, whatever you would call them, fellowship, connect, life, whatever you call them, because that's actually a means by which not only can we have fellowship with one another, but we can teach one another. I remember going to a a, a small group in Cardiff one night and, you know, thinking I was a big time Charlie, and uh, we went into the room, and and, and a lady across the room said something that I thought was wrong, and so I, I, I just, well, I thought I gently corrected her. And there's a gentleman sitting behind me, and he put his hand on my shoulder. Just an ordinary guy in the church, lovely guy, still friends with him now. He said, it's okay, James, it's okay. I thought, that's a bit strange. Does he think he is talking to me like that? So I went to see him the next day. 
can you help me? He said, yeah. He said, um, I've never forgotten what he said. He said, I admire your passion for the truth, James, but that doesn't mean you always have to be right. I admire your passion for the truth, but that doesn't mean you always have to be right. Now, God didn't use an elder to teach me that lesson. God didn't use a ministry gift to teach me that lesson. He used a brother in the church, a guy who was in my small group, a guy that I bumped, you know, bumped into every Thursday night at someone else's house. But the Holy Spirit anointed him, and he taught me a lesson that I've never forgotten, and I trust I put into practice. Because the Lord Jesus is always willing to teach us through others. It's not a pyramid system where the elders teach the people and the teachers teach the elders and the apostles teach the teachers. All of you can teach me because we're a family. Happy with that? Can I say a few more things about the teaching in particular before we finish? Is that okay? Sure. I realize I've not got my watch. I'm so sorry. It's Tuesday. (laughs) Where's... It's okay, Eutychus hasn't fallen out of the building yet. (laughs) There are three things every teacher has to reckon with now. Every teacher has to reckon with this reality. That they are teaching people who are already being taught by the Lord himself. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, I'll read this for you. As for you, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. The anointing is the Holy Spirit. And so you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in him. Whenever I come to teach God's people, I have to recognize I am teaching people who are already being taught by the Holy Spirit. And that means, therefore, that... Oftentimes in settings like this, if, if the teacher is teaching properly, he will say things and you'll go, oh, God spoke to me about that last week. Or do you know what? You've, put, you've managed this. There was something going on in the inside and I couldn't put words to it, but you've just put words to it. That's the anointing teaching you. What that also means, if I come in here and I say something that's wrong, like if I say uh, Jesus doesn't forgive all sins, for example, the anointing within you will go, uh-uh. do you understand? So the teacher is never teaching ignorant people. He's teaching spiritual people. And therefore, you must be taught with dignity and with gentleness. The second thing is, um, but, and if there are any aspiring teachers in the room, I would encourage you to underline this verse. There is a responsibility to teaching. Let's look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3. James chapter 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Not many of you should aspire to be teachers, my brothers, because those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There will be a judgment, there will be a decision made on how we've all responded to this message today. But I will face a greater, a more stricter judgment than you will. 
because I taught it, you heard it. Okay? One of the things every teacher has to recognize, everyone who teaches the Word of God has to recognize, is that there is a stricter judgment because of that. Now, we also believe that mercy triumphs over judgment, <laughs> as the rest of the passage says. So I believe if there's a greater responsibility, then God has greater grace for me to lay hold of too. Thirdly, the teacher has to recognize that he is in relationship with others. Can I take a moment to explain this? Is that okay? Titus chapter 2. I know I joked about, you know, Kerry coming in the week after me to fix things, but it's actually a great thrill to... Uh, it's always a great thought to come here and hear how, hear how you talk about him, actually, how, how you talk about ministries in general. You're incredibly honoring of them. But it's a great reminder that we're actually all working together in the purposes of God. I left my secular job uh, just over 10 years ago, and not long after, um, God gave me this verse from Titus chapter 2. Um, and it's Paul's talking to Titus, and in verse 7... He says, show yourself in all respects a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And I find that fascinating. Paul's giving some advice here. You're going to behave in a certain way. You're going to teach in a certain way. But you're going to do so, so that any opponent has nothing bad, and I'm expecting Paul to say, nothing bad to say about you, but he doesn't. He says, nothing bad to say about us. I stand here today, now there's only one of us in the pulpit, but I actually stand here today, and I represent a whole group of people who are working together. And if I'm honest with you, I am, I am talking today with one eye on the fact that, um, is Kerry happy with what I'm saying? Because he's the apostle to the work. I can't come in and say something that's going to cause a problem. I can't do something that's going to have to be undone. The way I behave is actually a reflection on all the brothers and sisters that I labor with and that you know. Yeah? I'm in relationship. I actually just can't do what I want. I had to get permission to come here from the elders I work with in Cardiff. And it was a good thing. So there's a, there's a relationship. A teacher just can't come in and do what he wants. He's in relationship with others. And that's a safeguard for you. Coming into the end, I promise. What's the goal of all this? What's the goal of all this teaching? What's the teacher aiming for? Well, the Lord Jesus in Mark, Matthew 10 said, it's enough for the student to be like the teacher. Colossians chapter 1, if I read that to you, Paul says this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 it is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. The goal of teaching is to produce Christ-like character and Christ-like behavior in the church of Jesus Christ. Because Christ-likeness is the goal, proclaiming Christ and demonstrating the life of Christ are the means. Therefore, all true teaching will be an explanation in some way, shape, or form about the life and person of Christ. 
True teaching will use, therefore, the same basic tools that Jesus himself used and the apostles used after him, the tool of the Word of God and the tool of the Spirit of God. True teaching finds its place and plays its part in fulfilling the Great Commission. True teaching is apostolic. We don't teach teachers' teaching, but apostles' teaching. True teaching is a life lived. As William Barclay said, the finest and most effective teaching is done not by speaking, but by being. Even the man with no gift for words can teach by living in such a way that in him, men see the reflection of the master. If you turn to one last scripture, I promise, and we'll finish then. John chapter 13, we've looked at it already. Finally, in all I've said about the Lord Jesus and all I've said about the Holy Spirit, all I've said about their teaching presence in their lives, let us never lose sight of the fact that the Lord Jesus was far more than a teacher and the Holy Spirit is far more than a teacher. John 13 verse 12, we read it already, we'll read it one more time. After he had washed their feet and had put on his robe and had returned to the table, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus very gently corrects a mindset in his disciples that I still find so often in people today. You see, his disciples called him teacher and Lord. And Jesus said, you're right, but I'm your Lord and teacher. He's not teacher first and then Lord. He's Lord first, and then he's the teacher. There are many in the world today who would say to us, well, I love the teachings of Jesus. I ascribe to the teachings of Jesus, but I'm not living as a Christian, or I don't go to church. People who say that have never read the teachings of Jesus. But I notice there's a subtle, subtle work at times where people will talk about the Lord Jesus and not refer to him or acknowledge him as Lord. They'll pray to Jesus. They'll talk to Jesus. But the writers of the New Testament continually called him the Lord. And if we're going to be those who are properly led by him, properly taught by him, and if I am going to be effective at being an effective teacher of his gospel, then we must all come to the place that first and foremost, he is Lord. Not only teacher. And my prayer this morning is that for all of us, that we will all live under his lordship. That if you've never come to know, come to know Jesus, you've never put your faith in him, today you can do. You can come in under his banner of lordship and love, and he'll lead you and look after you. Regardless of how long some of us have been walking with him, I trust that every room in the door of your life, every door in the, room of, in the house of your life, he can walk into and have full sway. So that not only is he Lord in theory, but he's Lord in the house, Lord in the wallet, Lord in the bank balance. Would you stand with me?